0: Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in our world and in our lives, and we ask that your spirit will dwell with us and that we may hear your word for us today. Amen. Exodus begins with an Egyptian king enslaving the Israelites. So God tells a man named Moses to deliver the people. Moses travels to Egypt, where he speaks on behalf of God, and tells the Pharaoh to let the people go. When Pharaoh refuses, Moses threatens plagues that disorder creation. Moses leads the people away from Egypt, and when Pharaoh's army chases them, God tells Moses to raise his staff. The sea parts, and the people are saved. When the people want to return to Egypt, Moses again speaks on behalf of God and explains that bread from heaven will feed them. Moses leads the people to Mount Sinai, where God tells Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses tells these commandments to the people to help them live lives of true freedom. After telling the people the Ten Commandments, Moses returns to Mount Sinai to receive laws on property marriage, worship, and just about everything else. There are so many laws to receive that Moses is gone for 40 days and the Israelites start to get restless. Which brings us to our scripture
1: today. Exodus 32, 1-7 The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue of what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, All right. Take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf, and the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink, and then they got up to celebrate. The Lord spoke to Moses. Hurry up. And go down, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are ruining everything. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Moses leaves and the people start worshipping the statue of a cow. This never really made sense to me. Because first of all, why? Of all the commandments the people could have broken, worshiping an idol has the worst return on investment. Like stealing, at least you get something for your trouble. But worshiping an idol? You have to melt down your gold? God smites you? And for what? Idolatry almost seems silly because few of us are tempted to worship a statue. So I think that's where we should start. We probably presume that the Israelites created a new God to worship, but I don't think that's actually the case. I don't think that the golden calf is supposed to be a new God. I think it's supposed to be a new Moses. I'll explain. So far in Exodus, Moses has been God's representative on earth. As we saw in the introduction to the scripture, Moses acts on behalf of God, and Moses speaks for God. Like When the people need to know something from God, they ask Moses, who talks to God on their behalf. And when God needs to speak to the people, God talks to Moses, who relays the message. But this is more than just translation. Moses is a mediator. He helps the people make sense of God. Because Exodus portrays God as so holy and so powerful that anyone who sees God will die. This causes the Israelites to be afraid of God. But they still want to worship this God who saved them and delivered them from Egypt. The Israelites need someone who can help explain how to follow this God who's unlike anything or anyone they've ever known. So the people freak out when their mediator, Moses, abandons them. But when that happens, the people don't actually turn away from God. They go to Aaron, who, remember, is Moses' brother and the head priest. The people ask Aaron for a God that will go before them like Moses did. They ask for a mediator to help them worship God. And it's Aaron who tells them to make a golden calf, which, by the way, a calf is a metaphor for Yahweh, who's described as the bull of Jacob in Genesis 49, actually in Egypt. And that is all to say that the golden calf does not replace God. It's an object that helps people worship God. This is really clear because, I think it's in verse 5, Aaron builds a temple or an altar in front of the calf and announces, tomorrow will be a festival to worship Yahweh. The calf is supposed to aid the worship of God. The people are following their priest's advice on how to worship God. So why is God so mad? Well, the problem is that the people confuse the calf with God. They start worshiping the calf saying, the calf delivered them from Egypt. But this is actually a problem that extends beyond the calf. In verse 1, the people say that Moses has delivered them from Egypt. And now they're saying that the calf has delivered them from Egypt. The truth is that God delivered them from Egypt. But because they have this mediator in between them and God, they end up worshiping God's representative rather than worshiping God. This is the kind of idolatry that actually does have return on investment. Because it's not easy to worship a God we do not understand. And there is so much about God that we cannot understand. I mean, how do we understand a God who exists outside of time and matter? How do we relate to a spiritual presence who's not a particular being, but the ground from which all being flows? I mean, thinking about it makes me just want to go take a nap. Faith would be so much easier if God were tangible and physical and simple. We could just look at an object like a calf or a leader like Moses and think, this is good, God. This is what God looks like. So we do just that. We find people and institutions to mediate and simplify the expanse of God. And sometimes that mediator is a pastor who provides all the answers, who tells us exactly what we're supposed to believe and how we are to behave. And sometimes that mediator is Christianity itself. For centuries, Christianity has helped people make sense of their experiences of the divine. Christianity has provided religious identity, spiritual vocabulary, and community for those in need. And and this, the church, is a beautiful, God-ordained role, which makes it really hard to tell when we started worshiping church instead of worshiping God. It's hard to separate God and church because the church forms our beliefs about God. And we worship God through the ministries of the church. But we don't worship the church itself. And that's the point of this story and the commandment. Don't worship anything other than God. God must always be bigger than the traditions or institutions through which we experience God. And this might sound, this might be a little bit abstract. So I'll I'll try to bring it closer to home. How many of us have been rejected by a faith community because our desire to worship God did not fit with church doctrine? When someone's authentic worship of God doesn't align with the church's traditions or the church's moral standards, right? That poses a question to the church. Is God bigger than the church? Could it be that God is doing a new thing beyond our experience? Could it be That God is doing a new thing beyond the interpretations and practices that we have relied on for all these years. So who will we worship? The traditions of the church or the God of freedom? And I want to be clear here as I warn against the like idolizing or idolatry of the mediator or, frankly, the church. I want to be clear that I'm not saying it's bad to have a mediator, a guide, or a spiritual tradition to help us navigate faith. This story doesn't reject that role at all because, folks, we got a plot twist coming. Right after the Israelites worship the calf, this is in. A, this is just a few verses after our scripture reading stopped. Right after the Israelites worship the calf, God gets super angry and tells Moses, "Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you." Catch that? God plans to kill everyone and start over with Moses. But then Moses, the mediator, the one that we have to be so careful not to worship, Moses intercedes. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your people. Remember the promises you made. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. Moses then turned around and came down the mountain. Moses argues with God and saves the people. In the same story, we have the strongest argument against a mediator, and we have the strongest argument for a mediator, which is why the Bible is great. It calls us to places of tension. Many of us have been hurt because people who we loved worshiped church doctrine rather than worshiping the God of freedom. And this story shows God's anger at the kind of idolatry that enables God to be put in a box that aligns with our cultural prejudices. But this story does not just reject all forms of divine mediation, it discourages us from saying, hell with the church. I'll never let anything or anyone shape my view of God. Because that reaction, that rejection, closes us off from the wisdom of our spiritual ancestors. And it closes us off from the support of loving community. And this story asks something more. It challenges us to be a community where the God of freedom reigns. Amen.